Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Genesis chapter 3, verse 27 through chapter 4, verse 7. So I'm going to read this passage for us. Um, you can follow along. And then I'll pray and we'll ask for God's help uh, this morning. And then I'll lead us through this passage. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 27. This is God's holy word. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Picking up chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would come now by your Spirit, um, that you would take this word, your word, and that you would write it upon our hearts. We pray that you would, under your word, bring conviction and comfort um, through the good news of Jesus. For it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I was uh, reading the news and I came across this one article that caught my attention and the title was this, Owner Dies in Poverty While Renaissance Bric-a-Brac Worth $225,000 sits on his mantelpiece. Um, So in 1977, as I read this article, this guy named uh, Dennis Fry, he had gone into an antique store and he bought this little three-foot-tall statue for about $200. Um, And, you know, it sat on his mantelpiece in his home uh, collecting dust all those years. Um, And sadly, Dennis Fry... um, died in poverty. Um, He was sick and was unable to pay his medical bills. Um, His house was falling into horrible disrepair, um, and, uh, and, and he couldn't pay his bills. And when he ended up dying in poverty, that's when they came in to auction off his estate, and they discovered this little statue Um, that was actually sculpted by 
some European artist uh, in Italy during the Renaissance period and was extremely valuable and it ended up selling at auction for $225,000. Um, but De he, Dennis had a friend and his name, his friend's name was Jeff Northausen and he was quoted in the article as saying this, it's hard to imagine what Dennis might have done with the money had he known the figure was worth this much. And so what he was reflecting on, right, was that there was this little treasure that had the potential to make his life radically different, um, but it sat on the mantle collecting dust until his death without him tapping into that treasure, right? He died within feet of a small fortune. And here's what I want to say to you today as we look at this passage uh, in Galatians. The key to living and growing in the Christian life is tapping into the treasure you already possess as a believer and is to live out its implications in your life. See, Paul is telling us to tap into the gospel treasure that belongs to you by faith, namely that through Jesus you are a child of God, that you are a child of the King. He's saying you have to do at least these three things that he outlines for us. First, you have to understand your identity before the Father. And then second, he tells us you have to rest in the Son's accomplishment for you. And third, you have to connect to the Spirit's activity in your life. And if you're a note taker, there's probably no chance you got all that, but don't worry about it, I'll repeat them. Um, so first, you have to understand your identity before the Father. You know, that word identity refers to our being. And psychologists and psychiatrists will tell you that your identity is based on two closely related factors. Uh, it's about who you are and whose you are. And to tap into the gospel treasure, you have to understand and think out your identity. Because our identity, our understanding of who we are and whose we are, that gives shape and form and expression to everything in our lives, right? It's what shapes our decisions. It's what shapes our values. It's what shapes our reactions to criticism or to praise or to suffering. It shapes how you relate to yourself, how you relate to others, how you relate to the world, how you relate to God. It's a big deal with massive implications. And throughout Galatians, Paul is arguing that there are two competing narratives that are vying for your allegiance all the time. Two competing nar narratives about how to get an identity. And they have wildly divergent implications for your life. In one narrative, you have to strive to achieve and build your identity. And in the other, area, the other narrative, your identity is received. It's a gift, purely by grace. So the one narrative says you have to strive to achieve. You have to perform to get an identity. You have to prove that you matter. You have to prove that you're somebody. You have to prove that you, you're someone of worth. And I, I've shared with you before that we live in what 
some cultural commentators have called hustle culture, right? It's the epitome of the achievement narrative, and its symptoms run throughout our lives, right? It's busyness, and our lives are filled with noise and activity and workaholism and constant obsessive striving and an inability to rest. And it leads to fear and anxiety, to insecurity and resentment, to despair and cynicism in our lives. One author wrote in the New York Times that in hustle culture, productivity has taken on an almost spiritual dimension. Yeah, exactly. Because we're striving to prove that our lives have meaning and worth and purpose, and we're hustling to achieve an identity and rest and freedom. They're like the carrot on the end of the stick that's held out in front of us that can never be reached by achieving and striving. And we can say a lot more about that But Paul was writing to say there's another narrative. There is another narrative, one that doesn't fuel pride and insecurity and anxiety and resentment, but one that fuels freedom and confidence and joy and security and rest and humility. This is the narrative of an identity that's received as a gift of grace. So chapter 3, verse 26, Paul wrote, For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. Identity. He's saying this is who you are and this is whose you are. You are sons of God through faith. You don't get this identity by achieving and striving, but by believing. It's simply received through faith. When you come to the Father through trusting in Jesus who lived, died, and was raised from the dead for you, you receive an identity through Him. You are a child of the King. And if that's who you are and whose you are, that is the end of being driven by fear, and it's the beginning of being driven by love and joy and freedom. Years ago, I read this story in an old uh, Reader's Digest, um, probably sitting in a doctor's office somewhere. And a young mother wrote in with this little story, and she she wrote this. I stayed with my parents for several days after the birth of our first child. One afternoon, I remarked to my mother that it was surprising that our baby had dark hair, since both my husband and I are fair. And she said, well, your daddy has black hair. But mama, I said, that doesn't matter because I'm adopted. And this is what she said. And with an embarrassed smile, my mother said the most wonderful words I ever heard. I always forget. You know, it, Let that sink in just for a second. The most wonderful words I ever heard. I always forget. And consider this. In John chapter 17, verse 23, Jesus says, His Father loves us even as He loves Jesus. You can look it up later. Those are the words He uses. Even as. Do you understand what that means. 
The Father loves you even as He loves Jesus. Not diminished, not diluted, not qualified to one degree. That's who you are and whose you are. In the language in this passage, all throughout, verse 26, in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. Verse 27, you've been baptized into Christ and have put on Christ. That's a language of being united to Jesus, that you are bound to Him and He is bound to you. And in Him, you are a child of the King. And His Father loves you even as He loves His only begotten Son, Jesus. And that has massive implications for your life. And Paul lays out a few of them here. Right? Look at verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Um, I, I read somewhere that the multiculturalist looks at the world and sees the world's brokenness primarily through the lens of racial conflict, Jew or Greek. And the Marxist looks at the world and sees the world's brokenness primarily through the lens of a perpetual class struggle, slave or free. And the feminist or the misogynistic patriarchy sees the world's brokenness primarily through the lens of gender, male or female. And each of those camps... They may provide some valuable insights into the felt brokenness of this world, but none of those are the cause of the brokenness in the world. Those are the symptoms of the brokenness, not the primary cause. They are symptoms, they're evidences of a world that's driven by fear and striving to achieve an identity, which leads to an ever-increasing division and insecurity and anxiety and hate and resentment. And only Christianity puts an end to that vicious cycle because Christianity says the main problem in your life is none of these things. The main problem in your life is alienation and, and estrangement from your Father. And Jesus came into this world to restore you, to give you an identity that is received as a pure gift of His grace to you in Jesus. The hope of the world is an identity that's received, not achieved. Who we understand ourselves to be, it, it shapes everything about our lives, our decisions, our values, how we respond to praise and criticism, and how we re relate to ourselves and the world and God. And it's tapping into that treasure that I am a child of the King and delighting in God's delighting in you as His child. That's what sends you out into the world to actually bring down the walls of division and bring healing to the felt brokenness of the world because you're driven out in love and security and freedom. All right, second, you have to rest in the son's accomplishment. Not only understand your identity before the father, but rest in the son's accomplishment. See, what Paul wants us to consider here in this passage in Galatians is what Jesus has legally accomplished for us, in order that we might rest in his accomplishment. And to a preacher's delight, Paul provides the illustration. Uh, and it comes from the Greco-Roman practices of redeeming slaves and adopting sons. So let's talk through that just briefly. First, the Greco-Roman practice of redeeming slaves. The word redeemed that shows up in verse 5 of 
your passage. And the whole concept of redemption comes from the ancient slave market, right? Redemption referred to the release of a slave by the payment of a price. And it was a legal transaction that changed someone's status. That changed someone's status from being a slave to someone who is free completely and entirely. To be redeemed meant you were legally no longer a slave but free. Verse 4 and 5, Paul writes, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, to legally pay the price of redemption to free you from your slavery. So Paul wrote that we are enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, verse 3. That we're enslaved to the law, in verse 5. The identity through achievement narrative is slavery, is what he's saying. The law, the elementary principles, it's a taskmaster that's demanding, constantly demanding, that you prove you're somebody, that you measure up that you can prove you're enough, and it plays itself out in all kinds of places. It plays itself out in religiosity and morality and climbing the social ladder and succeeding in your career or in your parenting and in a million other ways. The achievement narrative feels like slavery in your life because Paul is saying it is slavery in your life. And Paul is saying when you see what Jesus accomplished for you, that he legally paid the full price for your redemption by taking all of your debts upon himself and dying for you and crediting you with his own righteousness. That's when you can get out of the rat race. That's when you can stop the hustle and the churning and the chasing and finally rest. And why did Jesus redeem us? The end of verse 5 now. So that we might receive adoption. As sons. So let's think about the Greco Roman practice of adoption. The Greco Roman practice of um, adoption took place in a patriarchal culture. And so sons stood in line to inherit their father's estate, um, but not until 25 years of age normally, which is why up to that point the son was practically no different than a slave, which is what Paul was writing about in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4. Um, but what if, what if a wealthy estate owner had no natural son to leave his estate to? You know, when we think of adoption in America, we typically think of adopting very young children, babies, right? Um, but in the Roman Empire, that was never the case. It was always involving adult men. Adoption was this incredible honor where the estate owner was legally bringing this person into his family in order to leave them his estate. So why the gender-specific language of sons in chapter 3, verse 26, 4, chapter five, uh, 4 verse 5, 4, 6, when Paul had just brought down all these distinctions between male and female? You know, what Paul is doing here is he's making this revolutionary and very subversive claim into this patriarchal culture. He, he was taking something in that culture that only ever applied to adult males, and he was applying it to absolutely everyone. 
He, he was writing against the patriarchy of his day and saying it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your wealth is. It doesn't matter what your social status is. Your gender doesn't matter. Your age doesn't matter. Jesus came to legally and actually bring you into the full status of sons of the king. Jesus, God's son, came to legally accomplish this. I, I don't know if this happened for you growing up. It happened in my house, and we did it with our kids, um, too, as they, when they were little. My kids would go to school, and they would go to art class, and they would come home with a drawing or a coloring or a painting or something like that, and they were so excited to bring that piece of artwork home to show what they had accomplished, right, what they did. And they couldn't wait to show it to you, right? And once we figured out what it was a picture of, um, you know, they were so excited that as a parent beaming in pride and delight over your child's accomplishment, you took that picture, right? And you found a magnet and you slapped it on the refrigerator, right? So that everyone could see it. Do you know what happened earlier today in the service with Olivia and Theo's baptism and what happens every time we celebrate a baptism and what happens every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it is God posting a picture for you and me to see what Jesus has legally and actually accomplished for us in his life, death, and resurrection. It's a picture of God beaming and delighting over his son's accomplishment to set you free and to bring you home as his child. And that picture says rest. It says cease striving. It says stop chasing and hustling. Rest in Jesus. When he said on the cross, it is finished, he actually meant it. Everything necessary to set you free, to welcome you into his family, Jesus accomplished. I remember a friend of mine telling me about a time he was in Walmart on a Saturday morning, and it was bustling with people and noise and activity like it normally is. Um, and he said he heard a child screaming and crying in the next aisle over, and like many of you and like me as well, I naturally assumed that that kid was throwing a temper tantrum over something he was not able to have or that his parents wouldn't let him have. But he turned the corner onto this aisle and he saw this little child completely alone. He was lost. He had somehow gotten separated from his mother and he was panicking. He was terrified, and tears were running down his cheeks, and his cheeks were beet red. And as he stood there wondering what to do, he said the mother came around the other end of the aisle, and she scooped this child up in her arms, and he said he almost couldn't believe it. Because that child, he said, went from screaming panic to being fast asleep in his mother's arms in 30 seconds. Run into the arms of Jesus, who legally accomplished 
everything necessary to set you free and make you his child. Tap into this treasure and rest. Rest in Jesus' accomplishment. All right, finally, let's talk about connecting to the Spirit's activity in verses 6 and 7 of this passage. You know, I've been trying to make the case in the first two points that the Son's accomplishment and your identity as a child of God have massive practical applications for your life. But here's what some of you are going to say to that. That's fine and everything, but I don't feel like a set-free child of the King. You know, it can be objectively true and real that you trust in Jesus and your identity has been changed and you've been legally and actually redeemed and adopted. But subjectively, in your experience, to not experience that all the time. It's a very common experience. And it's why you need to be connected to the Spirit's activity. Because you know what the Spirit's job is? The Spirit's job is to take all of this wonderful truth that we've been talking about and to make it real to your heart and to your experience. And that's what's going to transform your life. When over time, that truth and that reality sinks deeper into your heart and into your experience. One more story, and then we'll finish our thoughts on this passage in Galatians. Some of you have heard this before. Um, Perry and Sandy Downs, they were foster parents uh, for infant children, and they would bring infants into their home, and they would normally care for them for a few days, sometimes a couple of weeks, until social services would find a family who was going to adopt these children and bring them into their home. One day, social services reached out to Perry and Sandy Downs and said that they had this unique situation on their hands. They had these twin boys, and they were older than what they normally took into their home. They were 18 months old, um, and they needed to be settled in the in the Downs home for a period of time, and so for a longer period of time than usual. And so the Downs agreed, and these twins ended up staying with them for a year and a half. You know, when the social worker initially dropped those boys off, she explained that these boys, 18 months old, had already been in nine different homes. And in most of these homes, the social worker told them, they had been terribly abused. And so when they tested them, they weren't showing a normal range of affect. That is, they weren't responding emotionally in the way healthy children should respond. So the first night in their home, the Downs put the boys to sleep in a crib, and as they went back to their bedroom, they realized something odd was happening. These boys were in an entirely new environment, a strange place with strange people, but they were perfectly quiet. You couldn't hear a peep from them. So they crept down the hall to peek into their room and check on them. And they said that there in the dark, what they saw were these boys in the crib holding one another and silently weeping. 
See, they were afraid to make a sound lest they be beaten again. Now, 18 months went by and an adoptive family was found for these boys. And before these boys left the Downs home, they were now three years old, um, they were tested it again. And the social worker told the Downs that something incredible had happened. And the boys were now responding with a completely normal range of affect and emotions for healthy children. So what happened? They had been loved in a family the way they were supposed to be loved. They experienced it, and it changed them. It transformed them. It literally healed them and put their lives back together. The Spirit's activity is about giving you an experience of the assurance of the Son's accomplishment for you and your new identity as a child of the King. See, the objective truth of your identity in Jesus and the subjective experience of that truth, they are meant to come together in your life and sing. Right? That's what happened for those little boys. And it transformed them. Paul wrote in verse 6, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. That word crying, it's an expression of deep, profound, passionate affection and dependence. God sent His Spirit to make all the stuff we talked about real to your experience in order that we would cry out to Him. Like a little child who can't yet even form the word Father can only make the most basic guttural of sounds, Abba, Papa, Dada. Right? The massive implications of the gospel to bring healing to a broken and divided world, to mend divisions and cycles of hatred and insecurity and violence, to counterculturally rest in a world of busyness and hustling and striving to achieve an identity. Those implications are always going to, they're just going to seem like daunting mountains and cliffs to you. But to sense that the gospel is true in your heart by connecting with the Spirit's activity, that's what will level the mountains and cliffs and send you out driven by love and joy and freedom. And if you haven't figured it out yet with all these stories about children and adoption, the key to living the Christian life is to discover the treasure you already possess. And that treasure is finding out in that, that in Jesus, you are a child of God, a child of the King. Or let's put it this way. The treasure is in discovering that you are God's treasure. You are His treasured child that He delights in. And as you experience that, that will transform you. I'm going to end with a brief quote from J.I. Packer. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook of life, 
It means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. And so the question is to you, Christian and non-Christian, do you understand that God is your Father through Jesus? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning as we gather together to sing your praises, to confess our faith together, to confess our sins together, and hear of the assurance of our pardon through Jesus, and to hear your word this morning. Father, we thank you for this privileged opportunity to hear your word, to be reminded of truths we already know, to have them applied to us again and again, week after week. And Father, it's our prayer that you would indeed send your Spirit into our hearts, that you would pour out your Spirit in order that we would know and experience in the depths of our being the truth that we are your children, that we have legally been set free and brought into your family as children in whom you delight and treasure. Father, make this real to us and transform us by this truth, we pray. It's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.